You're listening to The Middle, the show about the Australia-China connection. We're bringing greater balance and broad expertise to all aspects of the Australia-China relationship. Uh, welcome to The Middle, the show about one of the most vital debates in Australia, the rise of China and what it means for our country. We are coming to you from 2SER Studios in the heart of Sydney on the traditional lands of the Gadigal people, the Eora Nation. My name is Peter Frey. I'm the co-director of the Centre for Media Transition. Joining me today is my co-presenter and esteemed colleague from the University of Technology, Sydney, Wanning Sun. Hello, Wanning. Hello, Peter. Uh, you can hear The Middle on 2SER across the Community Broadcast Network and on your favorite podcast app. And even better still, you can see it in Mandarin, subtitles on YouTube, more details about that uh, towards the end of the show. So, Wanning, um, we better start off by explaining why we call this show The Middle. Well, there could be a few reasons. The first reason could be that Australia is increasingly caught between the U.S. and China. So it's caught in the middle. And two, China is Zhongguo, the middle kingdom, so the middle. The third reason could be that I think that too many people Mm. are getting stuck and getting caught in the middle of this debate. Well, that's right. I mean, we think there's a productive middle path in this debate, and and we really want to shed some uh, light rather than heat. And and does that cover everything we've got? That's the fourth reason. Yeah, that's the fourth reason. Right. Is but there I another could, one? I could think of another okay, reason. Go on. If we can be a little bit flippant about it or mm-hmm. philosophical about it. Mm. Didn't actually Confucius say, uh, which is translated into the philosophy of the middle, of being in the middle? Also, didn't Aristotle say, uh, say something about the doctrine of the golden mean? Which was an idea of perfection being somehow in the middle. So let's aim for per- perfection in this radio show. Uh, very well said, Warning. I always learn something new from you. Um, today's show is about politics, and we're talking, taking a look at Australia's political attitudes towards China and how policies have shaped Australia's perceptions of the Middle Kingdom. And today we are very lucky to have two guests. And the first one is Jason Yesen Lee. He's the chairman of the Vantage Asia Holdings. And David Brophy, he's a China scholar and historian from Sydney University. But before we start, mm. maybe we should ask our guests to talk a little bit about how they actually got interested in this uh, whole uh, subject of the China-Australian uh, uh, relations. Yeah, great idea. Jason, you first. Um, thanks, Wanning. I guess the starting point is my heritage. So I'm Chinese-Australian. I was born here in Australia to uh, parents from Hong Kong. They have mainland backgrounds, but they were raised in um, Hong Kong. And I lived in China for 10 years. So from about 2005 to 2015, I was based in Beijing. Um, and so I've been back in Australia for three years, mm. just as this debate really started yeah, to interesting time to re- come back. really started to take hold. Mm. And so always being interested in these sorts of identity issues as well. So you know, am I Australian? Am I Chinese? And then being confronted with this, you know, all the you know all the confusion and the narrative that's going around this particular debate um, um, sucked me in. And mm. It's very hard to avoid that if you. Uh, person of Chinese heritage living in Australia, is it? Well, it goes to the heart of the debate, mm. right? Mm. So to what extent are you Australian and to what extent are you Chinese? Now, mm. one would think that being Australian-born, it's mm. clear. Right? 
But the nature of the narrative now saying, you know, regardless of your nationality, um, if you have any sort of tie mm. to the PRC, then there is an element, there should be an element of yeah. distrust there. We definitely need to talk more Tremendously about dangerous. That. Well, we're going to talk distrust. a lot about that, but yes. I think you're making a great point that all politics is personal, really, right? Mm. And David, how did you get into this? I mean, yeah, you, you got hi, Peter. Yeah. Hi, Wending. Um, look, I've been studying China and Chinese language since high school, really. Um, but it's only been in the last couple of years that I've uh, I've felt a, a need to to involve myself in uh, in public debate around issues, uh, both geopolitical issues concerning China-Australia relations and the state of uh, domestic politics in Australia and the way we talk about migrant communities uh, here in Australia. So I, I came back to Australia uh, in 2011, having spent some time abroad for, for study, and um, I moved at that point from an environment in which I was heavily engaged with my scholarly work, my research, um, which we might talk about later I suppose so, yeah. um, finding myself in Australia where there was starting to you know feel a bit of a dearth of um, of uh, of commentary around these issues from uh, from alternative viewpoints yeah. and you know I, I started to find myself you know unusually being asked questions about you know what do I think about directions of Chinese politics what do I think about what the Prime Minister is saying about um, you know China and I, I had to sort of um, come up with something to say because I felt you know, having a position at an Australian university, I, I had a responsibility to, to engage in these debates. Yeah. To people who are outside this debate, uh, mm. it's still quite confusing. So mm. could you actually just give us an outline of, you know, what are some of the issues that are, yeah. you know, I think it, I think it's, it's important to say that there isn't, you know, one single Chinese influence question. I think that um, mm. China is obviously, you know, a, a presence in Australian life to a greater degree, than it has been before in many different dimensions, um, um, and you know we we can you know we can go through some of those those issues. There's a, there's a whole sort of laundry list of um, points we could discuss. I mean, obviously you're very familiar with the talk about the Chinese media um, increasing sort of PRC uh, control of Chinese language media uh, in Australia. We've got um, fairly traditional sort of political lobbying um, behind the scenes attempts to sort of cultivate relationships with um, the major parties. Um, we have issues to do with uh, universities um, of particular interest to me, of course. Um, yeah. Talk about the, the Confucius Institute, for example, as, mm. a, as a, an exercise of Chinese soft power, um, a lot of discussion about the, um, the, uh, the impact that the large number of Chinese uh, students are having on, on our universities. Mm. There's been some quite, um, um, quite troubling, from my point of view, um, talk about the way in which you know, Chinese students are a threat to academic freedom on campus, um, simply for, for speaking up, you know, yeah. uh, representing a, a, a different viewpoint. There's also um, a lot of discussion about academic collaboration with China. This comes into the, the question of intellectual property, for example. Are we, you know, is China stealing our intellectual property by sending us uh, graduate students to, to study in Australia? Well, we go, could go on. Well, you know, on. Um, can, yeah, can I, yeah mm. and we're going to explore mm. some of those. Yeah. Uh, Jason, let's talk about a very key word in all this. And David sort of touched on it, but the word trust. And you wrote a really interesting um, op-ed in the AFR recently where you posed this great question, which is, you know, to, to what extent or to what extent should a, an Australian citizen of Chinese heritage expect trust? And why should we be asking questions that suggest that we kind of don't trust this person simply because they have Chinese heritage? 
this is a very corrosive thing, right? I mm. mean, it's a relatively new thing, and this goes to some of the things that David just mentioned. What made you get to that point? So, um, the narrative, or a part of the narrative that's been swirling around this whole debate, mm. um, is that if you have any sort of connection to China, particularly if you have um, PRC background, that um, you know the question around where your allegiances really lie. Um, do your allegiances really lie with Australia or mm. um, do they lie with China or are they split? Now, when that extends also to people who are Australian citizens, um, mm. that is deeply problematic. Mm. And if you take the logic to its extreme, you end up in internment camp territory. Yeah, that's right. Um, the Japanese during World War II Absolutely. who lived in Not that long ago, America, really. Not that right? long ago. No. And even though we're not in an armed conflict, there is no war going on, but some of the rhetoric going around saying we are in a cold war in inverted commas you know america is in a cold war um mm. with china right now do you and believe that by the way um you, is that a way sorry i don't know whether you believe it so much as is, is that a useful way to frame the debate is a better question i think it's a provocative way to frame the debate i don't think it's particularly helpful mm. and i think this is probably the meta theme for what we're talking about mm. sort of today around dealing with these sorts of foreign affairs issues you know the competitive rivalry between america and china needs a tremendous amount of nuance and it needs a tremendous amount of sophistication and when you reduce it down to this sort of populist language it's just really not helpful mm. That's true. Well, that's actually yeah. a good segue to the mm. question I want to ask David uh, about the Foreign Influence Bill. Mm. And uh, could you talk uh, through that and also say a little bit about how the China Studies scholars in this uh, country have mm. decided to do, to make mm. a statement about that? Yeah, so the, um, the Foreign Influence, well, there was actually a, a series of bills, actually. There's... Um, there's um, bills targeting um, illicit foreign influence. There's mm, another set of legislation um, to create a registry for people who are identified as um, as uh, acting on behalf of a as a of a foreign state. And this this was um, mm. this was the culmination of a lot of the discussion that had been um, taking place up until uh, up until that point. Um, the um, you know many of us I think in the Chinese studies community had been um, been troubled by various you know aspects of this um, aspects of this uh, this discussion, um, and there was a sense that you know again uh, it's a bit of a stra- an Australian habit. There was a sense of that a sense of crisis had been created, and there was a rush to to legislate uh, around this to give our security agencies greater powers um, to to give ASIO um, greater powers and. Um, to my mind, a whole range of things that um, that were extremely uh, problematic in terms of the way in which um, the, uh, the the new legislation defined um, the, the the notion of national security, the way it talked about um, handling information yeah, uh, in particular. Journalists, you know, say. yeah, you know, journalists had yeah. a lot of. Um, uh, a lot of things to say about that, but a lot of that applies to academics as well. You Absolutely. know, here I am today talking to to you for a radio show. Mm. Um, you have protections under this legislation that, that I don't. You do not. That's um, right. And that um, and that, so that, that was crazy a situation we got ourselves in. That was a really troubling yeah. thing. Now, you know, the the legislation was um, was modified to a certain extent, but look. Broadly speaking, I think that you know, if if we if our answer to something is to to increase the powers of you know surveillance in the security state. I think we're asking the wrong question. Um, I, I think that um, you know many of the issues actually require um, 
not further restrictions, um, but actually enlarging, enlarging the space um, for democracy and, and debate. Um, but to come back to the question of China scholars, um, so there was there was this issue, um, the the sense that this was being conducted in a um, in a you know in a in a hasty and and sort of sensationalised um, media climate, uh, and again and the threat that we felt um, as scholars. So there was quite a strong response um, from a, a group of scholars. Um, wrote an open letter as a submission to the um, to the um, to the inquiry, which um, which was received. Jason, to you on and and to, touching on this because part of what David's just been talking about, of course, was set up in this kind of political climate uh, around, for instance, questions around the uh, the funding that D- Sam Dastiari had received, and mm. there was, mm. you know, you, you couldn't help but notice that there was very much a a liberal win uh, in the offing here by oh. getting Sam's oh. scalp, as oh. it were, oh. and that's what's happened. Oh. Just taking that out more broadly, in this climate, now you've doubled in politics, do you think this climate makes it harder for people with Chinese heritage to think about going into Australian politics? Oh, absolutely. And, and, it's and this is a terrible the, thing, isn't it? it? It's tremendously disenfranchising. So yeah. um, even before we get to politics, if you think yeah. of this distrust point, that we mm. mentioned earlier. If you have a Chinese background or a PRC background or if you have family living in the PRC, and say you worked in the government, mm. right, will the government allow you to have access to national secrets thinking that you might be vulnerable to pressure to divulge those secrets to, to the PRC uh, government? Even if you worked in a large corporation um, where you're have access to commercially sensitive information? Will you be promoted um, to a position where you can get access to that in an academic environment? Mm. Will you be allowed access to sensitive research? Mm. In all of these fields, anything that is valuable and sensitive, if you have a PRC or a Chinese background, are you going to be prevented from rising or being promoted or having access to those things, included in discussions, invited to meetings, all of these things? because of this distrust that maybe, you know, in the best case, um, we don't question your allegiance to Australia, but what if undue pressure? You know, what if you have family in China and the PRC government says, you give us this information or we'll lock your relatives up or we'll torture mm. them or whatever, this sort of fanciful sort of thinking. Yeah. Um, so for the yeah. benefit of listeners, yeah. tell us a little bit about your own intersectional Australian politics and maybe reflect on whether you'd do that again. So I'm a member of the Labor Party, and I ran um, in the seat of Benelong. Actually, even before that, when I was a very young man, um, in the um, in the late 1990s, um, I was involved in a uh, political party called Unity. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was the first rise. We all of, remember that first rise of Pauline Hanson, um, and it was very interesting because that at that time there was a threat to not just the Chinese community but to multiculturalism generally. Mm. But the effect was very different. Mm. At that time, it actually mobilised the Chinese community and mobilised different ethnic yeah. communities to speak up, marched in the street, activated, um, organised uh, politically to defend Australian values. This time it's very different. This time it's so disenfranchising that everyone's keeping quiet because nobody wants to, in defending themselves, nobody wants to be fingered to yeah. say, ah, you're actually in cahoots mm. with the Chinese. So yeah. it's tremendously dangerous and disenfranchising. Mm. Now, would I go again? Mm. Um, in order to get to that, I think it's a question of representation. So right now, leaving aside people of Asian descent or Chinese descent, I think the figure is that's about 4% 
of federal parliamentarians who have a non-European background. Yeah. And clearly, that, that doesn't reflect the broader Australian no, community. So, and then if you reduce it down to the different nationalities, including the Chinese, um, there is very, very little, uh, mm. if, if not any, representation. Mm. And so when you overlay that with these accusations of Chinese, in inverted commas, political influence in Australia, the irony is the Chinese community has zero, mm. has zero. Mm. Um, and particularly when you mm. compare it to people who really do have political influence, mm. such as Rupert Murdoch, such as different industry lobbies, mm. such as the fossil fuel lobby, mm. such as the taxi, such, such as any lobby group that you think about. So uh, the answer you quick, quickly to answer the question, will you have another go? <laughs> um, I would like to at some stage. Um, I think politics, the environment now is particularly challenging. Um, mm. And this whole narrative and debate uh, around China makes it particularly difficult mm. for people mm. with a Chinese background. Because you can imagine in the campaign, the moment somebody yes. with a Chinese background steps up, then the other side, your opponents, will drag out all sorts of yeah. This um, is the perfect stuff. time to do it then, really, isn't it? <laughs> That is a, the best of time an, and the worst of time. Well, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> if I could actually jump in with a follow-up of question course. for Jason, uh, I guess a lot of the anxiety and fear about the Chinese influence stems from the fact, as you said in your um, recent um, sort of uh, writings, is the, a lack of confidence in our own values. And so you're arguing that we should be more confident about our own values. So what are these values and how having more confidence in its values would help us. So the point I was trying to make there is it, it was in, in a way a retort to some of these really sensationalist um, um, assertions that the Chinese are going to destroy Australian democracy or they're going to ruin academic freedom and bring down our institutions. And th my retort was, are we so lacking in confidence mm. in our institutions that we feel that, you know, a few donations to some political parties, a bunch of students sort of, you know, and there's only really been four incidents, I think, that have been recorded, a bunch of students sort of, you know, having a bit of a hoo-ha. Is that really going to destroy our democracy and mm. bring down our mm. academic institutions? Are we really... Are we that fragile? Are we really that fragile? Are we really that lacking in confidence in mm -hmm. our institutions that we seriously think that's going to happen? That was the... That was a central point mm -hmm. but I guess broader than that um, is this I mean our values include traditional liberal democratic values open societies trust in our own citizens the rule of law um, a point that David made earlier how do we empower our citizens mm -hmm. you know rather than be fearful or not mm -hmm. trust them mm -hmm. but the flip side of that is we don't want to be um, the way authoritarian regimes run, and that is we distrust our citizens, we have this big security apparatus, and the moment anybody says any, anything, we come down on them like a ton of bricks. Mm. That's from the authoritarian playbook. That is not the liberal democratic playbook. Well, you're listening to The Middle on the show that's dedicated to exploring what's happening between Australia and China. So today we're joining by two guests um, Jason um, Yasen Lee, a chairman of Vantage Asia Holdings, and Dr. David Brophy from Sydney University. Peter. Thanks, morning, <laughs> David. Let's get stick with what uh, Jason just said. You know, are we trending? Given what you're just talking about, the foreign intelligence bill, are we trending to this more authoritarian view, certainly of the Chinese community? And maybe throwing on from that, what's really problematic for you in this discourse? The, the way in which I think that we've allowed 
our security services to, to call the shots on this issue, I think has been troubling. I think that um, a lot of it has been driven by um, unsubstantiated claims that are attributed to, to ASIO. Um, and these are just let out into the community um, to quite troubling effect. You know, one of the ones that we've seen repeatedly is this idea that, well, at a certain point, ASIO identified 10 candidates for local office who were considered to be suspect. Now, you simply let that out into the mm. world. See what happened to it. You, no names are attached. Yeah. Yeah. That means henceforth every candidate is suspect mm. because we don't know which ones they're talking about. It's it could be Jason. It could really, be, you know, yeah. you know. Could be um, you, you it know? Could, well, <laughs> unlikely, I think. Yeah, I think um, yeah. Unlikely. You know, the same expectations to demonstrate loyalty are not placed upon Indeed. someone like yeah. me. That's, yeah. that's yeah. really the thing. And I, and I think that, you know, along with that, we're, we're cultivating this idea that, um, you know, our media and our, um, you know, public debate should simply take the claims of um, government officials at face value mm. and not be able to question them, you know, ask them for evidence. Mm. Um, this, this is the role of the media, and I don't think that they've been playing that role, uh, unfortunately. Um, you know, I, I think that um, there's, there's many other sort of troubling aspects of this debate. I think going back to a point... You know, I think Jason raised. We we need to reassert that there is freedom of association in this in this country, and that people have the right to take political positions that might be more in alignment that that with you know what um, what Beijing says about a particular issue. There's mm. nothing inherently subversive about that. If someone wants to advocate, for example, um, you know that Taiwan should be part of China and Australia should step back and allow that to take its course, well. They're free to hold that position and, yeah. and you know, introduce that vo yeah. viewpoint. And we should have the confidence in our deliberative democracy that we, mm. can, we can deal with these things if someone wants to, yeah. um, you know, in a, counter in a, it. In the same forum uh, as when you were at the ABC forum, Jason, I heard that the Richard McGregor made a similar point mm -hmm. about mm. it is very likely and it's very possible there are some of the Chinese people in this country uh, strongly identify with what uh, China is doing, what Xi Jinping is doing, but are not in cahoots with China. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. look, I yep. think that you know it's, we have to understand that um, people's feelings are complicated, you know, mm. and and I think that you know there's probably a lot of people in Ch of Chinese background in Australia who may have serious reservations about China's political direction. Mm. But nonetheless, you know, may feel that um, you know China becoming a power in the world has has benefits for them as mm. well. You know, it gives them a certain pride, it gives them a certain standing, you know, yeah. in Australia that that previously they didn't yeah. have. You know, yeah. it, it's very complicated. Mm. Well, that's a um, sort of inherent racist position, isn't it? As a subliminal racist position, it was okay when we could sell them stuff, but when they start getting a bit bullshit, then when they, yeah. well, then we uppity. uppity. Mm. I mean, just the on the Chinese mm. problem, mm. just on the on, yeah. on the uppityness or the bullshitness. Mm. Yeah. I mean, as an Australian who's lived overseas for a long time, I, not, I may not necessarily agree with everything that the Australian government does. Mm. But if overseas, if somebody starts attacking Australia, mm. um, generally saying Australia is horrible, Australia is that, um, I'll stick up for Australia. Mm. Uh, that's mm. just a natural thing. Mm. Mm. So mm. I, I think the same thing happens with a lot of Chinese people here. They may mm. not be mm. at all supporters of the Chinese Communist Party, mm. but if you bash China, mm. they may well say, mm. well, that's just mm. unfair. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's yeah. A, yeah. Fair point. Yeah, and and it is indeed the, uh, the case that uh, a lot of uh, mainstream commentators say to people's Chinese community, uh, we're criticizing the PRC, we're criticizing the CCP, uh, don't take it personally, uh, you don't need to take it personally. Uh, but as David said, people's emotions are very complex and people somehow find it's very hard not to take it personally. 
uh, even though they're not working for the Chinese government or uh. working for the C- CCP. Um, Jason, um, you, you advice to the people who uh, participate in the Chinese influence debate is that we should, uh, to use your own words, take take emotion and populism and politicization out of the debate. Now, how can this be done in practical terms? Um, in the current political environment, populism seems to be the you know the the name of the game. Right from from all different sectors, you know, it 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 sells media, it creates headlines. Um, unfortunately, it, it's just not terribly helpful um, in this environment. And I think what needs to be done is, that, you know, there's a number of things. One, we need to be clear in our language. So if we're talking about the People's Republic of China, the state, let's talk about the PRC. If we're talking about the Communist Party of China, let's talk about the CCP. Um, let's be careful that we don't use this blanket term China that really encompasses, you know, everybody from me, you, Li Lingqing and, and Kylie Huang and, 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 you know, everyone, right? So let's just be sharper. Let's Amy and let's just let's just be sharper in the in the language. In your no. own words, razor sharp. Razor sharp in the language. No, is, is that too no much word. to expect? Um, I th- not from journalists and those who write as a profession, and I think yeah. uh, I think if the if the professional writers and broadcasters take the lead and the government takes the lead, those who publish generally mm. take the lead, then I think that that can become entrenched. It's just the way mm. language is used. Um, I think the second thing that we need to do is reset the narrative, the overall narrative, and the stories mm. around sort of Australia's relationship mm. with China. And you know, there is when you look at China, China's uh, it's a very complicated beast. I don't even profess to even begin to understand, um, you know, China itself. But to boil it all down really simplistically, if you look at Australia's relationship, there's an opportunity side, mm. right? Mm. What, what what good can China bring mm-hmm. Australia? And there's a big economic piece, there's a big strategic piece, there's all the good stuff mm-hmm. that is there. But then there's the challenging stuff, right? So there's the, you know, there's the, there's, there's, the, there's, mm. the, there's the challenge. Um, let's leave the threat side, because I, I think when it goes to threat, you're already moving into the we're already moving into the into the populism mm. area, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, so yeah. if we just look at it in terms of opportunities and challenges right mm. now, um, that's the nature of the beast. And so the best thing for us as a country so that we can reap the opportunities and we can manage the challenges is that we need a sophisticated and intelligent debate about China. Mm. Once it goes to talking about threats and danger yeah. and, you know, taking over Australia, we... We risk throwing out the baby with the bathwater. Well, the PLA are lending on our doorstep, to use <laughs> the word of Peter Hatcher. <laughs> so um, uh, th- what the middle tries to do, and you're listening to the middle, is to have a more sophisticated uh, uh, debate, less, less imbued by words like threat and, and more uh, um, logical around you know, challenge and clear-eyed about it. Um, our guests today are David Brophy from Sydney Uni uh, and Jason Yatsun Lee from uh, the chair of Vantage of Asia Holdings. Uh, we have time for one more question, uh, Wally, and I'm going to leave it with you. Okay. Now, recently, uh, I don't know whether you guys noticed that the Morrison, um, PM Morrison went to Hertzville, uh, which is a, a very, very heavy, high, has a high concentration of the Chinese residents there, uh, Chinese migrant residents there. And he went to the restaurants and then he had lunch with 80 Chinese uh, migrants there and made some very friendly remarks about 
China and the Chinese community's contribution and so on and so forth. And the Chinese language communities in Australia just lapped it up. They saw this as a very, very positive um, sort of step. Whereas the mainstream media, there was almost, there's very, very little response to this. And um, the speculation is that the PM or his office actually didn't really try that hard or prefer to play low key. In other words, he was probably trying narrow casting to the Chinese community, saying, you know, hey, you guys, you know, David, Dave, David Coleman, yeah. right, mm-hmm. was the mm. candidate there. It was a marginal seat. You know, you know, we are friendly to you. But at the same time, probably worried about alienating the Australian public who have these anxieties and, um, and fear about China. So that's the question about the challenges facing the, the, the politicians these days. How do they speak to people of different, you know, co- voters from different constituents? Have you got any thoughts or have you got any advice for them? Um, I think most political parties sort of um, tailor their messages for different audiences. Um, but it's hard to manage in this today's uh, media environment, exactly, isn't and it? Exactly, and it's, it, if there are inconsistencies or contradictions, um, even though it may not have been reported at the time, it's on the record. So mm. you know this stuff can this stuff can come up. I, I think the only you know the only sort of suggestion that or thought that I would have um, around this is one needs to be completely consistent in terms mm. of one's overall policy and overall narrative around these sorts of issues. Because if you haven't thought through it carefully, you're going to trip yourself up. Um, and somebody will pick that up at some stage and, and, and you'll get caught up. And I think that that is part of the issue. I'm not sure that you know Australia as a country or the political parties or, or anybody really has a completely internally sort of consistent and well thought out strategy um, and, and, and an approach to how we deal with this very difficult issue with China. Well, that's a, that's a great question. I'll just finish with you then, David. Do you mm. think either of the main political parties, I can't ask Jason uh, this because he's a member uh, of one of them, but uh, have it have that? Do they have a well-thought-out policy on China, on PRC, and, and all this? Well, I, I th- it seems piecemeal from yeah. the outside, but maybe I've got that yeah. wrong. Look, I think, I think China policy is probably back in a bit of a holding pattern now up until the next election, I, and I think that that is in some ways reflected in the way Morrison is behaving because, you know, if we do acknowledge, you know, the tension um, in the policy, then it you know, may well be the case that we do have to say certain things to the Chinese community and certain things to, you know, our friends in Washington. And, and this is probably the way we've been behaving for, for some time now. Yeah. I, I think probably what Sam Dastiari was doing... Mm was also an example of this, you know, sending a message to the Chinese community that he didn't really want to, you know, get so out to the wider. you we're going to have radio silence between now and, say, next May? Because um, it's going to be a long... It's going to be an interesting one, you <laughs> yeah. know. Um, it's it's going to be an interesting thing to watch. I think that there's, there's a couple of things to watch um, in the coming period. I think that, um, you know, clearly there are, um, you know... Uh, there are actors in Australia who um, who don't want Morrison to slip back into a sort of you know uh, we don't need to choose type mm. position. Mm. Um, there've been there's been discussion you know in commentary that we need to now that we've got these new laws we need to use them. Mm. We need to use these laws to to educate the Australian public about the Chinese threat, and that to me is um, is still a, a bit of a danger. Um, mm. That um, you know, politically motivated trials and, and things like that. I also think now we also need to watch what's going on in America because uh, with Mike Pence's speech um, mm. highlighting this issue of, of Chinese interference and that 
Chinese interference was directed against Trump, mm-hmm. um, and all of a sudden the the issue in China around China in America uh, will become you know as significant as the talk of Russia and then, uh, of has course, been, and, and that we, will naturally yeah, indeed, flow you know, down to flow back to Australia. Well, and we have our own um, elections to, well. to have that narrative around as well. So yeah. I'm interested. Watch this space. So mm. that pretty well wraps it up for this edition of the Middle. Um, I'd like to very much thank um, David Brophy uh, from Sydney Uni and Jason Yatsun Lee. Um, I, I sincerely hope you, you run again, but uh, we'll watch that space too. Um, if you missed anything from today's show, uh, please check out our podcast on the 2SER website and at 2SER.com and at, at the podcast uh, provider of your choice. Um, we have for our Mandarin speakers... Uh, um, Uh, a a version of this show going out um, on YouTube Um, and I'd like to make a special mention to our producer Amy Ma who does incredible work behind the scenes and without whom this show would not happen. I'd like to thank everyone for coming. Uh, Have a wonderful day and especially like to thank you Wally for being such a wonderful co-presenter and until next time Um, goodbye from the middle Goodbye